been a while since I've been up here. Last time up, I was up here, I was employed. <laughs> and I will say, when I was employed, working Monday through Friday, multiple hours, usually the 11th hour, the Lord gave me where I was preaching from, right? Because that's the challenge in not being up here regularly, is you're not preaching from a series, and usually that's resolved. Um, interestingly, I knew where I was preaching from a little over a week ago. I couldn't figure out why I was preaching from there, but it's sort of a little bit, in many regards, turned into a very timing, very timely sermon, an appropriate message in many regards. Lord always works it out, doesn't he? Uh, turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 34. Starting in verse 34, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Let's open in prayer. Father, we just pray that you would quiet our hearts and our spirits. Lord, that we would hear the word that you have. Lord, that we would be faithful and obedient in response to your word. Lord, I just pray that uh, you would watch over Pastor Keith as he's away on vacation. Lord, we're thankful for him and his recovery. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to focus on verses 34 to 37 this morning, understanding that there's a couple other verses that would logically go with it, but I wasn't sure your tolerance to a two-hour sermon um, may have prevented me from ever getting called back up here to fill in for Pastor Keith. But in any regards, are you done? <laughs> My wife did warn me not to go that long. <laughs> she did. Interestingly, did you know that there's a global peace index? Until I was prepping for this sermon, I had no idea that there's a global peace index. Index. It's published by the Institute of Economics and Peace, the IEP, in case you need that. Apparently, they are the world's leading measure of global peacefulness. Iceland according to their 23 quantitative and qualitative indicators, is the most peaceful country. At the bottom of the list, which I'm sure you can guess, Afghanistan, Yemen, Iraq, Syria, and Russia. No surprise. The United States is at the bottom 25%. Not surprised there either. As you can imagine, though, the factors that affect their index are things like strong welfare systems, income equality, human rights, earnings, jobs, and public education systems. I committed none of that to memory. I'm reading my notes. The overall statistic that drug me in, though, was the reported consistent deterioration of the average score year over year, down 20, or excuse me, 2% in the last few years for whatever that statistic is worth. Of course, I didn't study or work to commit any of this to memory. just came across it while prepping. 
And I wasn't shocked or surprised at the decline, though. And quite frankly, I don't look to such statistics to confirm what I already knew through reading and studying the Word of God. Anyone with a proper Christian worldview isn't out there looking for world peace indicators in this current age. Sadly, though, our day and age is not probably much different than biblical times in that many have high hopes for outward peace and prosperity all around them, and when it isn't so, they struggle in their walk with Christ. Of course, no shortage of false gospels, easy-believism, and the prosperity gospel, and many churches' failure to preach and teach the Word of God, the whole Word of God, fuel this. And that leaves a lot of shocked sheep. Context to Matthew this morning, Matthew R. verses that we're looking at specifically, um, if you recall, is Jesus calls the 12 disciples to himself and he's getting ready to send them out. He's getting ready to send them out with these instructions. And so, um, looking at that, we see Matthew chapter 10, starting about verse 5, all the way through the end of the chapter, we have Jesus giving him instructions, warnings, and the last, it ends with the rewards. And again, to prevent a very lengthy sermon, I'm sticking on 1034 to 37. I'll have three points and some applications at the end. And what I don't want you to think, being the old army guy, that I'm a warmonger by any stretch of the means. I personally, believe this or not, do not relish conflict. I was one of those army guys that in many occasions wasn't yelling and screaming at people, and much unlike my very best friend, that that's all he ever did, is yell and scream at people. I may be a grumpy old man now, but I wasn't a yeller and screamer, not a warmonger. In fact, I do believe our Savior can and does intervene in such things, and I will fervently prayer, pray for those things. But we can't look about us looking for external peace, thinking that the outcome of all this is going to be world peace. You know that old saying, can't we all just get along? The answer to that is no. Not outside the body of believers. Because you got to remember and understand we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, right out of Ephesians 6.12. So external peace in this world is not going to be the outcome, and our Lord and Savior knew that. In the preceding and following verses of our chapter, excuse me, of our verse in chapter 10, we find Jesus calling those 12 disciples to himself, sending them out with instructions, warnings, rewards, as I mentioned earlier. And in verse 16, he tells them, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. So our first point this morning, do not expect world peace at every corner. I added world. I don't know why I just said world. 
How about we just say, do not expect peace at every corner. Verse 34, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. No doubt Jesus found it necessary to warn his disciples not to expect peace. He warned them to change their thinking. Do not think that the road they were going down was not going to be all sunshine and rainbows. I was going to add unicorns in there too, but they're make-believe. The word here used for peace in Greek means literally or figuratively, by implication, prosperity, one, peace, quietness, rest, and to be set at one again. This week's news was fantastic, right? God gets the glory. Millions to be saved. Millions upon millions. That's not going to bring peace. Not external peace. We know, especially this early in Jesus' ministry, the disciples did not fully understand the point of Jesus' ministry. Many, including the Jews, were looking for an earthly king that would bring peace through earthly rule. You consider the, the Jews, what were they looking for? They were looking for a Messiah that would abolish Roman rule and bring them peace, and the Messiah was to be an earthly king to bring peace. Turn with me to the Old Testament, Micah chapter 5. Micah 5, starting in verse 4. What we have here is a prophecy of, of Christ. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Syrian comes into our land and treads in our places, then we will rise against him, seven shepherds and eight princes of, excuse me, princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its, at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Or consider Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6. For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The Jews did not understand. The disciples did not understand the peace that Christ was bringing. And so Christ warns the disciples, I did not come to send peace, as the King James Version says. In the King James Version, 
instead of bring, I'm personally reading from the ESV, the word used for bring is to send. Do not think I came to send peace. I was rather fond of the wording in Vincent's word studies pertaining to this. Quote, By this word, the expectancy of the disciples is dramatically pictured. As he represented them as eagerly looking up for peace as something to be flung down from earth, excuse me, upon the earth, I can't read today, from heaven. Dr. Morrison gives the picture thus. All are on tiptoe of expectation. What is it that is about to happen? Is it the reign of peace that is just about to be inaugurated and, and consummated? Is there henceforth to be only unity and amity? Amity, by the way, is friendly relationships. As they muse and debate, lo, a sword is flung into the mix. So peace was not to be so at every corner. They were not to expect, as Jesus instructed, amity as they went out preaching the gospel. The outcome they were going to encounter with many would be enmity. They were going to encounter from unrepentant unbelievers enmity. John 3.20, if you care to turn there. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Flip forward to John fifteen eighteen. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, and the world would, then the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. It can be difficult, especially right now even. Of the last few years, it's exponentially moving. Just by saying you are a Christian, you have fueled the fire, right? You don't even have to be, you can be lovable, peaceable. You can be a peacemaker. You have just fueled their fire. And the Prince of Peace did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And so what is this sword? It's a metaphor for the word of God. We see it in Hebrews, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, in discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him, of him to whom 
we must give account. A double-edged sword causing division. A sword discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. A sword that would divide the believing from the unbelieving. They would encounter those who would repent and be welcomed as brothers and sisters in Christ. And no doubt the glorious outcome would be unity and peace with a fellow believer. But they weren't to expect that everywhere and in all occasions. Nor should we. They couldn't and we shouldn't expect peace at every corner. The scriptures do tell us that darkness hates the light. The truth will and does divide. They were instructed not to think peace was going to be the outcome with all those that they encountered. Imagine the discouragement had they gone out preaching the gospel, living their lives daily for the gospel and the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and encountered such hatred toward them as they carried out that, mystery, that ministry without being aware that it was going to happen. We've seen it in Christians. They get the partial gospel and they got this overwhelming love in them and then they experience what? Discord, anger, and it leaves them bewildered in questioning their faith. Questioning their faith. Not only the discouragement, but worse, watering down the gospel or avoiding the full gospel message. Because part of that gospel message is to repent of sin. Because of those that are hostile to the truth. That brothers and sisters is a difficult temptation. Especially when we consider how deep the division can go. And will go within our lives as believers. How close to home that division can and likely does and will come. Second point this morning. Don't expect peace, sometimes even within our own families. Matthew 10.35 and 10.36 inform this point that I gave its name to. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. I came across this story. Uh, I think it was on Desiring God. I was looking for something, came across this story, thought it was fantastic. A pastor out of Frisco, Texas. His name is Afshin Zayafat. Not an American, obviously. He was born into an Iranian Muslim family. This is a true story. I don't know if he's still a pastor in Frisco, but at the time he was. Born into an Iranian Muslim family and was taught English by a Christian, Christian lady in Texas. His family moved from Iran to Texas and he was born in Houston, Texas. And interestingly, this lady that was hired to tutor him, this Christian lady, handed him a book and told him the most important book you'll ever read is this. Handed him a New Testament. 
miss the fact that the Old Testament is just as important, but you get the gist. Handed him that New Testament, and he started reading that New Testament by himself alone at home, obviously hiding it, right? And he went to an event. He went to an evangelical crusade. And this is where I pick up his quote. I made my commitment to Christ public at that evangelistic crusade, but driving home from the event is when it hit me. What am I going to tell my family? What am I going to tell my father? My father had always been the most important person in my life, the guy I had always looked up to. I'm ashamed to say that I decided to hide my newfound faith from him and the rest of the family. I would sneak out to go to church, intercept mail from the church I was attending, and hide my Bible. Finally, one, my, one day my dad found out. He'd seen my Bible and he'd also seen other evidences in my life. He sat me down and said, Son, what's going on? There's something different about you. I said, Dad, I'm a Christian. He said, No, you're not, young man. You're a Muslim, and you always will be a Muslim. I said, Dad, the Bible says that if I trust in Christ alone for my salvation, then I'm a Christian. And I do. My dad said, Afshin, if you're going to be a Christian, then you can no longer be my son. Everything in my flesh wanted to say, forget it, I'll be a Muslim. I didn't want to lose the relationship with my dad. So I was surprised when I opened my mouth and said, Dad, if I have to choose between you and Jesus, then I choose Jesus. And if I have to choose between my earthly father and my heavenly father, then I choose my heavenly father. My father disowned me on the spot. In verse 34, we see Jesus instructs his disciples not to expect peace in all their relationships as they carried out their ministry of the gospel. But just how deep does that division run? Well, it even runs into the closest relationships in our lives. Not everyone will encounter it. Not to that extent. I was never disowned. I stand at odds at sometimes with much of my family. They've never disowned me. Maybe not it's disowning, but it's the not getting included at the events. I want to invite them. Can't have them come. It's the whispering behind your back. It's all those others. It might be a full-blown disown, but it is being ostracized maybe. But that division, Jesus warns, runs into the closest relationships you could possibly have. John chapter 7. Because what I don't want you to think is that we don't have a Savior that empathizes. He warns them. He shares the truth with them. Don't expect sunshine and rainbows. I didn't. I quoted that myself. That's not really what he said. Don't expect peace. There will be division between believers and unbelievers. 
You will be hated for it. And he could empathize. Starting in John chapter 7, verse 1, reading through verse 9. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Obviously, he experienced some hate. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand, so his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. Can you see what he said of his brothers? They were unbelievers. Interesting that his brothers were encouraging him to go back to Judea. I don't personally believe they had his best interest in mind. To have lived in the presence of Jesus as his family, and yet here they are, unbelieving, almost mocking, no understanding of who he was as the Messiah. No, Jesus tells them that the world hates him, because I testify about it, that its works are evil. And here's the heart of the gospel. To repent and believe. Why does the world hate us? Because of the truth. In our verses this morning in Matthew, Jesus tells the disciples that division of believer and unbeliever will cut into the family unit. To expect it. Note that the family relationships shown in these verses are the father and son, mother and daughter. Do I think they have a specific significance? I think the significance of calling out those relationships, if you think about it, father, son, are those not really close? They always say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, like father, like son, like mother, like daughter. Those should be the closest by blood relationships we have. And I think that's the significance of calling out those relationships. We have acquaintances. We have friends. We have close friends. I have one friend outside of this church. My family always teases me. It's what you get when you're an introvert. Just one close. And I'm, we will actually not be here next week because I'm going to go see my one friend, uh, my one brother in Alaska. Um. But the point of this verse is, yeah, you're going to encounter those relationship issues. But be warned, that division will break up families. Adam Clark says on this text, The Spirit of Christ can have no union with the Spirit of the world. Even a father, while unconverted, will oppose a godly son. Thus, the spirit that is in those who sin against God is opposed to that spirit which is in the followers of the Most High. It is the spirits, then, that are in opposition. 
in verse 36 reinforces the effects of such division. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. So we have division of family. Now he emphasizes it by saying, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Such divisions result in one person, the believer following Christ now. Think of Ashim, the gentleman I just read about, concerned with the glory of God in their lives and being faithful workers for Christ. And one, still of this world and rebellious against God. The light and the darkness. The dark does not like the light. Ironically, verses 35 and 36 are restated here, coming from Micah 37, or excuse me, Micah 7, foreshadowing the outcome and the coming of Jesus and the impacts on society and family relationships. As some come to believe, and others sadly remain a slave to their sin in this world. Micah chapter 7, verse 5, if you do care to turn there. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. Brothers and sisters, this can be a difficult situation to be in. Especially in a culture where family ties come first. I live in a, I've always considered myself not only bilingual, but bicultural. Wife and I have been married over 27 years, more than half my life. And there's a difference between speaking Spanish and figuring out how to maneuver through the Panamanian culture. It didn't take me long to realize family comes first. Especially mom, by the way. Whew, don't mess with mom. But the heartache over losing family members because they stand as diametrically opposed to the truth as any two things can be. Because you love and follow Jesus Christ. And the darkness hates the light. The heartache over being shunned by family or the heartache over needing to leave a most ungodly environment. What a temptation it can be to put your lamp under a basket. To merely maintain unity within a family for the sake of peace. And I stand here and admit I faltered in word and deed for the sake of that same peace. Sometimes I just keep my mouth closed. Part of it's I'm an introvert. The other part is I just want peace. And it's hard. Even more so when it's in your immediate family. But don't exclude all those relationships outside that we have. Because these verses 
especially 35 and 36, are giving us the example of family to say this is how deep it runs. But expect it ever else. So don't read these verses and say, oh, it only happens in family. No. Young people, you will struggle to find friends. Especially as soon as they know what's in your heart and who you follow. And I know growing up as a kid, when I was a teenager, one of the worst things to do was to lose a friend. I remember my next door neighbor, Rob Hinton. We were two peas in a pod. We built forts all over the place, up in the attic of our garage, and we just hung out 24-7. And then he started hanging out with the wrong crowd. I was torn, and then just the friendship fizzled. That can be hard, especially as a youngster. And don't get me wrong, not that I don't want friends at this age, a little different, though. I have brothers and sisters sitting out here, and I have one friend outside the church. But I have my family. But sometimes I think to myself, let me go. Maybe I can have more friends. And then I realize why not. It's hard to maneuver through this world with the sword of the truth if you're living it out. Maybe there's some of you that never have conflict. I'm impressed. Or you never wield that sword. Maybe things are so intermingled you look like it. We look like the world sometimes. And I stand here to tell you that because I myself do it sometimes because I want the peace. It doesn't feel good to be hated everywhere you go just because of one thing you believe or multiple things. And that's why I told you at the beginning how appropriate I thought this was this morning. We see a division now that's just total insanity. We followers of Christ sit back and go, how could you be mourning the saving of millions of people? And they sit on that other side and say, you are hateful. You're taking my rights. And just because they know you're a Christian, they're going to disown you. They're going to hate you, but even more so in a family. Because I guarantee you, I have family members that are at the other side of this. And at some point, I will step into that relationship. I don't live around them, but I will at some point. And if it comes up, I'm going to have a choice. I'm going to have a choice to wield the sword of truth peaceably as a peacemaker with love or for the sake of peace shut my mouth. I can only pray by the grace of God I don't do that as I have done in the past. But the primary message in these scriptures are this. And this is our last point this morning. Love for Christ must come before peace. Said another way, love for Christ must come first and foremost to love of family or other people. Because these scriptures are talking about the peace of the divided relationships, believer and unbeliever. 
So to shorten my title, I said love for Christ must come before love of peace. And that's external peace. I have faltered in this myself. I have faltered in being more concerned with the relationship with that person than sharing the truth. Matthew 10.37 says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Conflict, especially within a family environment, hits hard. Conflict all around us hits hard. It gets exhausting. We had a whole era of people what are they, the monks? They just locked themselves in. No conflict there. They just locked themselves in. We can't do that. We mustn't do that. But it hits hard. But often conflict occurs over something we said or did wrong. Our sinful nature, right? Just ask Jessica. I'm sure I said or did something wrong five times last week. But that's not the conflict. That's not the peace we're talking about. We're talking about enmity. Enmity between the world and the light of Jesus Christ needs no fuel. Only the word of God fuels it. And they stand, as I said, as diametrically opposed as anything two things can be. Because the world, unbelievers are rebellious and hate our Savior. He said that. And who else? There are going to be those that hate us because we're His. We need to do nothing more than follow Christ faithfully to find ourselves at odds with them. Consider the pastor I mentioned earlier. He said in his story that he had hid his faith for a time until his dad figured it out. Only reason he shared it is his dad figured it out. He even said that everything in his flesh wanted to say, forget it, I'll be a Muslim. But by the grace of God, he stood firm and professed his love for his Savior, Jesus Christ, at the expense of the loss of external peace in being disowned by his father. I said earlier, not everyone has experienced a familiar separation as, follow, as a follower of Christ, but I'm sure all of us have experienced a loss of friends, or for you younger people, it may be harder to find friends that do not thwart you from faithfully following Christ. I told this story before as I had a very close military friend of mine that would have been friend number two, by the way. Years ago, there was infidelity in his marriage. And his wife reached out to me and asked me to talk to him. And so I wrote a very lengthy letter to him, because he lived nowhere close. Gave him all the scriptures. Gave him all the scriptures. He was a professing Christian. Gave him all those scriptures. Long story short, years later, he divorces her. And the young lady he was having an affair with, he marries from that day forward, I unyoked myself from him. I often think of him. 
and pray for him. But it was at that point that I realized we were unequally yoked and the best thing I could do is continue to pray for him. But I couldn't send the message to my wife that I valued that relationship and the values in that relationship over the love of my wife. What example could that have set? My love for Christ came first and my love of my wife came second. On our past Wednesday nights, we discussed this exact topic. We often connect with new friends. Some of you youngs, you remember this? We connect with new friends, Elizabeth, over soccer. Over these activities, we connect with people. And it's in our internal desire to make friends, isn't it? We connect with those things only to find out a short time later that's about all we have in common. And when our faith starts to show Our hearts are broken. But Christ says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And that's not. Father and mother is the example relationship used here. So go ahead and tell yourself, whoever loves anyone else more than me is not worthy of me. Any other relationship with the relationship of father and son and mother and daughter being the prime, the closest relationship we can have on this earth. We find ourselves unequally yoked, likely being influenced by the unbeliever. We talked about that on Wednesday nights. I'm not saying don't have friends. What I am saying is, remember, what happens? As much as Joshua doesn't want me to say this, put a piece of garlic in a donut and put it in the refrigerator. He told me I use that analogy too much. So when I was preparing, I had to make sure Joshua knew I was talking to him too this morning. I don't want to eat that donut. Because what happens is, much as you don't want that garlic affecting that donut, you're eating a garlic donut. That division will come. But to love anyone else more than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and to deny Him for the sake of external peace and relationship, I caution you what He says we're not worthy. Of him. And so this must not be so. Love for our Savior must come first, and fear of loss of a family member or a friend mustn't stop us from speaking the truth in love. It mustn't stop us from living out a godly, Christ centered life and sharing the truth with others. It mustn't stop us from loving Jesus Christ first. And foremost, Christ did not come to send peace, but be clear the peace that he's talking of in these scriptures is external peace because of the division of believer and unbeliever. But it is certain he came to bring internal peace. 
external peace will suffer as Jesus warns. We shouldn't be surprised that unbelievers will persecute us and have unfounded animosity toward us simply because we are believers. Christ never promises world peace and we shouldn't wait for it, hopeful expectation of it in this age. The age to come, absolutely. And praise God for that. What he did and does promise as the Prince of Peace and Messiah is inner peace. Peace that can only come from being saved from the slavery of sin and punishment by the wrath of God. Peace that can only come from being saved from slavery to sin and the punishment of the Holy God for that sin. There may be those here this morning that are overwhelmed by the lack of external peace out there. And the only answer to not being overwhelmed is to bow the knee and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It won't be all sunshine and rainbows, and you will struggle in this age. But you'll have a peace that others do not. The millions out there running around looking for peace from things out there. When the answer to true peace is Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10 says, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. You won't have external peace here necessarily. You'll have internal peace. But what you do get to look forward to is an eternity of external and internal peace. This is my application, by the way you didn't notice. I have another one for you. Yes, verse 37 does say, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. But it doesn't say we're not to love father or mother. It doesn't say we're not to love other people. On the contrary, Christ calls us to love others. And how do we as Christians love others? We read all about it. We take care of their needs. We reach out to them. We bear their burdens. The biggest thing we can do is share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not a meme that says they're idiots. They're lost. They are lost. They're exactly where we were at some point in our lives. Never loving others greater than we love our Savior, but we must love others. What did Jesus say is the greatest commandment? 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Notice that assumes we already love ourselves. Not a problem with that, by the way. But it does call us to love others. And the answer to the chaos around us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, the word of God says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. What's the power of God unto salvation? The word of God. Not our animosity, not our hatred. And as hard as it can be to not be angry when people love their sin and they hate us back. What are, what are we called? To be peacemakers. To be peaceable. And it can be hard. Don't ask my wife if I live this out perfectly. Because when I'm behind the wheel of the car, what are you doing? I'm not overly peaceable inside. Sometimes it comes out. I don't say bad words. I don't cuss. I don't do that. The word knucklehead has come out a couple times. It's a military term. And it can be hard, but if we're in the word, in the spirit, in the prayer, in prayer, God can give us a love for the lost that we lack. Our love for others must be there, but never at the expense or greater than our love of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And if we love Jesus Christ, we're sharing the gospel. We're living out our Christian life. We're being peaceable. We're being peacemakers. And part of loving people is telling them they're sinful, and they're going to hate you for it. We must share the gospel. It is hard as it can be at times, and not worry more about the impacts on our earthly relationships than sharing the truth. That's where we should be. And I told you at the beginning, when I came across Matthew 10 a little over a week ago and said, bingo, that's it. I didn't know. Just a few days later. And lo and behold, here we are. You see the word of God, the truth of God, dividing like you can't imagine right now. And this isn't even politics, brothers and sisters. This is a biblically ethical issue. And it has caused a division that our response should be to love people and share the gospel with them. As hard as it can be. And they'll shut you down. And they'll close the door on you. And let the Lord tell you when it's time to brush the dirt off your feet and keep moving. Until that time, we do what he calls us to do, and that's love others and share the gospel. Thank you for your kind attention.